Now, we continue with Mile High Magazine. Here's your host, Adam Morgan. The words read, Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. For more than a century, those words reflected the general attitude of Americans toward arriving foreigners. However, in the current political and international environment, are Americans still as welcoming as we once were? Greetings again. I'm Adam Morgan. The words, Give Me Your Tired, is the opening text of the inscription placed inside the Statue of Liberty in 1903, 17 years following its dedication. Presently, too many Americans feel threatened when hearing others speaking a foreign language and have no clear understanding of the distinction between immigration and refugee resettlement. In the present debate and actions being taken regarding immigration, refugees are also being negatively affected. Assisting people and organizations to succeed across languages and cultures is the focus of the work of the Spring Institute of Intercultural Learning. Their president and CEO is Ms. Paula Schriefer. You know, I think America uh, embraces that inscription off and on throughout our history. And at some points in time, it's easier for Americans to embrace than others. And unfortunately, I think we're in one of those little places in history where people seem to kind of forget that inscription for a while because they're worried about uh, big things that are happening in the world. Really? I think we'll, we'll get back to it. We well, go that through is these a good thing. phases, you know. Every generation goes through it or maybe every other one or something like so. that. I think so. I think so. And, you know, unfortunately when you've got political leadership that, um, you know, finds it expedient to get people worried about things, then it, uh, it doesn't really help. A lot of times when we talk about that inscription on the Statue of Liberty, we talk about it being in New York Harbor and the New Yorkers have to do it. We out in Colorado, oh, no, we don't have to do that. But we do. We, we do. have to be more welcoming to people. We do. And, I'm, you know, I lived in uh, – I went away for 23 years. I was out in Washington, D.C., and I came back to Colorado. And I am amazed and astounded by what a different community we have here. At, at the Spring Institute where I work, we run an interpreter network. We provide interpretation in Greater Denver in 120 languages. That wouldn't have happened 23 years ago. So you can just see – what an incredibly more diverse population we have here now. You've worked in international for quite some time and with uh, with other countries around the world. Are, more, are the other countries around the world a little more welcoming than we are, or is it because they're closer together, people just go across borders, you know, normally anyway? I think that the U.S. is one of the most welcoming countries in the world. Again, I think we're kind of in a bad place, and I think we're in that place, partly because some of the world events going on and partly because we've got some irresponsible leadership. But generally speaking, um, Americans are very welcoming. And I will say, even though we're going to be talking about um, the refugee resettlement program today a little bit and the fact that the numbers are being cut by the by the current administration, in reality, we welcome refugees better than any country in the world. We do really? it well. Yeah, and that's one of the ironies about why it's being cut back, because we do it better than anybody else. And most of our refugees who come here become citizens. And that's something really different than in a lot of other countries that even serve as resettlement countries. And so these these refugees, they come here and they become Americans and they become part of our community. And it's good to hear you say that in your analysis there. 
because with a lot of Americans, intercultural is the few lines you learn to order a hamburger when you go on a tour <laughs> in the Mediterranean or on a cruise or something, and that's the extent of it. And to see that they are a lot more welcoming than I'm giving them credit for, take me out and throw me away. But uh, it, it, it's good to hear. And it's really interesting to hear it in, that it's still going on in this particular environment. You know, we have to be more global and globalization. As I said, I think we're in a little bit of a negative period, and I think there's a lot of misunderstanding. And so a lot of average Americans, for instance, may not really know who refugees are. Uh, They may not even understand that they're actually here legally and that they've been heavily screened and that they've waited years to come here. And so that miseducation or lack of education, you know, can be exploited. I I think we're very lucky here in the state of Colorado because um, we have a a political leadership that has been very responsible. Um, At the state level, we have a governor who has made it very clear that Colorado will continue to be a welcoming state for newcomers, whether they're refugees or immigrants. We have a, um, a municipal leadership, our mayors of Denver and Aurora, which have the most diverse communities in our yep. states, have been very clear that they will continue to be welcoming communities. But I, I won't sugarcoat the fact that there, you know, we hear from our community members that, you know, since the last couple of years, really since the election and the lead up to the election, they see and hear things that are more negative than they've heard in a while. Um particularly our, our our Muslim friends and sure. particularly if they're visibly Muslim women in particular who, who wear a head covering. So that is happening. But by and large, um, America has been and continues to be um, a nation of immigrants, and it has been very good at welcoming newcomers. Are we seeing a more positive attitude regarding intercultural things with younger generations? Maybe the millennials and the kids in high school now are much more open and not afraid as some of the boomers are. I think that generational differences are definitely there, but I also think geographic differences matter. I mean, if you're growing up in a community that is more diverse uh, and you're a young person and you've you, that's been your experience, yeah. you are going to be more open-minded and, uh-huh. and, and think that that's a positive part of your community. So yeah. I think that that does play a role. I think you um, you all put out a press release about the cutback in allowing uh, refugee resettlement in America. I think it's down to 50,000 or something is the level and was supposed to be 110 when the Obama administration left. And what's up with that? Yeah, what is up with that? It's, it's very interesting. Um, for those of us who have worked in the refugee integration or resettlement world, you know, we, we knew that um, the current president was running on a campaign that was sort of anti-immigration and that he was lumping refugees together um, with other groups where there where there might be uh, security concerns. And there seemed to be kind of a lack of understanding. I think there was sort of a hope that should he come into office, calmer and um, uh, uh, more reasonable minds would prevail and he would learn about the resettlement process and that there really aren't valid security concerns, there aren't valid economic concerns. Yeah. But nonetheless, he's moved forward with this with this platform of his. And so we, we yeah, you're right. Uh, the last year of the Obama administration, they had set a, a cap at 110,000 for refugees to come to the U.S., which is very consistent with numbers that we've received in the past under both Democratic and Republican 
administrations and uh, uh, the new administration came in and immediately started issuing these executive orders, which, among other things, placed a moratorium on refugee resettlement. So that year we were supposed to receive 110,000. We only received 53,000. Yeah. Most of those people came before um, the current president took office. Finishing up the year that we're in, which only has two months left in the fiscal year and the weird government uh, dates that they have, he had set a cap at only 45,000, which at that point was the lowest cap set by any administration um, since the current refugee resettlement program was was put in place in wow. 1980. And we're not even going to hit half of that. We're probably only going to resettle about 22,000 this year. You were mentioning as a They just announced earlier um, this week that they're setting the cap for next year at only 30,000. The average American in the street, they may hear foreign language. How do you tell them or how do we educate them to the difference between a refugee that's resettling and an illegal who may have come across the border in another way? Because they tend to lump them together. They do. Yeah. And and I think that that really just – I guess we were a little naive, frankly, those of us who who work with refugee resettlement, because we kind of thought, oh, my gosh, for, you know, since World War II, Americans have have been in favor of and we've all agreed that resettling refugees is a good thing. And I think we didn't realize um, that a lot of people really just don't know very much about the process. And as you say, they kind of lump those groups together. And, you know, what we try to do is is educate them and say, Listen, uh, refugees um, come here legally. They come here through the strictest vetting process that exists for any I think it takes person a year traveling. Or a year or a two? minimum of a year. Often it can take up to four years. How many for, steps do they have to go through? They go through uh, dozens of steps, and uh, there are seven different U.S. agencies that are involved in vetting and screening, including biometrics and and all this kind of stuff. So they are the most heavily vetted people who come to our country. And what people also don't know is that they don't get to decide where they go. So they have no idea what country, if if they are lucky enough to be selected for resettlement to yeah. a third country, they don't get any choice in the matter. It's all up to the U.N. Really? agency I thought, I thought and, they, and the they could State tell Department. them where they want to go, and then they get resettled there if there's space or there's a limit they can or something. Ex- they can express a preference. And yeah. if they do have family members that have already been resettled uh-huh. in another country, typically that will be the priority country for them to resettle in. But absolutely, um, absolutely no guarantees. And, and interestingly – Many refugees will tell you, I actually didn't want to get slated to go to the United States because the vetting process takes so long to go there. And it is quicker to go through the process and be resettled in one of the other countries. So the other countries don't have the same process that we do then. They have their own processes, but they don't take as long um, as, as it does. And we, you know, we people should understand, too. You know, we really, really beefed up our vetting processes after 9-11. Yeah. And so what's, what really is interesting is to kind of compare the numbers of where we were after 9-11 and where we are now. Because prior to 9-11, we were typically receiving 80,000, 90,000 refugees a year. 9-11 took place 
And the government didn't lower the cap. It was open to continuing to resettle those numbers. But it put in place all of these new stricter vetting procedures. And it it, it took a while to kind of get the numbers back up. And so in 2002, the first year after 9-11, we resettled only 27,000 refugees in the U.S. That was the lowest number that had been resettled since 1980. Mm-hmm. Now, it, there was no limit. It wasn't an intention to resettle only that few. It was just the timing. It just the, the time take, that it took, take, exactly. In the process. And, and interestingly, we were really kind of finally getting back up to the kinds of numbers that we were able to resettle prior to 9-11 when this administration uh, took office. And, you know, this year we will resettle fewer refugees than we did in the year after 9-11. And the need is, of course, vastly greater now than it was in the year after 9-11. We're looking at almost 26 million refugees right now in the world. So there's enormous need. There is enormous pressure on the countries that, um, you know, that have common borders with countries where conflict is taking place and where the refugees will naturally flee. So Mm -hmm. countries like Turkey and Jordan and Lebanon, Kenya, Um, hosts hundreds of thousands of refugees that come across their borders with far fewer resources than we have here. And our program has been a way to relieve some of that pressure uh, and and to bring some and and to show that we we are committed to Mm -hmm. helping um, and we're committed to our values and we're committed to providing a place of refuge for these people. After some of the refugees resettle here, yeah. And maybe some things change in their home countries. Do we see them going back home at all, or do they just permanently just stay? It's a really, really good question. There have been some countries where the situation on the ground has improved so dramatically that a number of the refugees have gone back home. But it's rare. Um, So one such instance was in Bosnia and former Yugoslavia. A number of those individuals who had originally came over as refugees did decide, once the situation there was stable and there were stable governments in place, that they could go back home. But for many of the countries that are producing the world's refugees, Um, They have been uh, countries where there has been conflict or there has been political persecution or authoritarian or even dictatorship governments in place that it has not been possible. On this edition, we gain clarity and insight regarding the resettlement of refugees from Ms. Paula Schriefer, president of the Spring Institute for Intercultural Learning. You, too, can also learn more online at springinstituteoneword.org or by calling 303-863-0188. We will continue our conversation with Ms. Schriefer on our next edition. I'm Adam Morgan. Do keep in touch. Stay in your game. And we thank you for sharing a few moments of your weekend with us. <music> 